There we go. And away we go. Welcome to another episode of Exposure Runs the Podcast. Um, this one is this one is gonna be very entertaining. Um when you have your own podcast, you you can bring up who you want. Every last one of them won't always be sports related, although there is some sportsness going to be. There will be an element to that. Um, I'd like to welcome my one of my youngest brothers to the show, uh, world acclaimed and a national comedian, Moses the Comic. Did you just call me a comedian? Comedian. Oh, comedian. In. in, not in, not in, not in, in. No. yeah, in. oh, comedian, yes, okay, my bad, okay, okay, Moses the comic, my brother Musa Suleiman, welcome, sir, thank you, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate this whole experience has been something <laughs> from the drive up and the outside, whatever this production is outside, it, it's definitely, I literally pulled up, it took like a crack house outside. I'm not gonna lie to you, we were in a neighborhood and it threw me off. It was a very nice neighborhood, the cars, the houses were nice, and then it was like Jeepers Creepers. And you pulled, and I literally called him, I said, Is this this barn <laughs> and then he's like I'm gonna come to the door and he did and and we walked in and then we walk into another room and you guys can't see that but there's a lot of equipment back here and it's all professional and it's ran into like a cigarette lighter back there I don't know what's going on through that back wall there's a gentleman there he has on a bucket hat and um but we are here and I'm happy to be here and I'm happy to have you here thank you how was the, um, first of all, how was the event that you went to earlier? It was the Black Muslim Psychology Conference. Okay. The Black Muslim Psychology Conference. Shout out to them. Mm-hmm. Um, I was one of the, the speakers. Keynote, if you will. Keynote. If you will. If, if I will. If you will. I shall. I won't. And one of the things, it was a very nice event. It was very well attended. My session was very well attended. And um, we Are you surprised about, by that? I, um, I'm going to humbly say No. <laughs> I am not surprised by it because I do know that I am Moses the comic and I'm a big deal in some circles. In some circles. In some circles. Uh, when will you get to all circles? Uh, a law alum, as they say. <laughs> Only a, no, a law knows. Am I allowed to mention God on this platform? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I don't know if this is a religious platform or not. <laughs> He's offered me water, but I'm sure there's other beverages available. No, actually, there's not. Oh, okay. It's just these. Okay. Yeah, we try to keep it. Uh, oh. Yeah. Uh, I was going to ask for a spritzer. Uh, no, we don't have those. Okay. Yeah. No. All right. All right. So you're the youngest of Ayub and Nisa Suleiman of my siblings. We have... Fatim. Okay. We have me. Mm. We have Suara. Mm-hmm. We have Tasneem. Tasneem. We have Shahada. Shahada. And then we have you. And then, of course, we have Yasin and you. Of course. Of course. I like to say that my mother, she kept trying until she got it right. Uh-huh. Because if you notice, there was another, there was never another after me with my mother. So she, she had Fatin and he was okay. And then Mustafa came and she knew she couldn't end there. <laughs> so she kept trying and trying. And like, then a bunch of girls came and they, they were what they were. And then when I came, I like to think she said, this one right here, this one is it. That, that, that you were the one. I was the one. You're, were, you're technically the him of yeah. our family. I'm Neo, if you will. Oh. I'm Neo. Oh. I, I'll give you Morpheus. I'll give you Morpheus. Okay. I'll give you Morpheus. But you are I'm Neo. Neo. I'm definitely Neo. I'm Mr. Anderson. I am the one. <laughs> okay. Humbly. 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 Humbly speaking? Humbly. Okay. Um, so tell us, you are known as an Islamic comedian, correct? Or just a comedian? I, I, um, this is so much ambiguity about those terms. That's actually a whole hot button topic about, you know, Muslim comic and and that whole thing. I I look at myself first and foremost just as a Muslim, not necessarily a a designation of 
my craft that okay. I'm a Muslim comic. I'm a comedian. Okay. I'm Muslim. Okay. I'm black. Okay. You know, so it's not like, you know, I'm a black Muslim comic. So I'm, I am a comedian. Um, but the same set that I'll do at a, at a Muslim comedy show is the same set I'll do and have done at punchline comedy clubs. And, you know, so, uh, so, so my next question, really, I guess you just answered is like, what is the difference between an Islamic comedian and a traditional comedian? If there is one, um, I guess in those instances, you could, you know, you have like, I guess, a Christian comic. Maybe he's doing where the where the content maybe is targeted specifically to those sect of people. So mm-hmm. you can do, you know, of course, I have material that can be that is better interpreted in Muslim crowds and people resonate with Muslim crowds. Um, but then just like Russell Peters, shout out to Russell Peters, one of my inspirations in comedy. He's a, a, a comedian that, you know, he brings the mainstream into his culture. Okay. You know, Joe Coy is another one, a famous comic that Joe Coy is a great comic of just bringing people into his, his culture and his, his, um, his background and customs and things. Um, but, but doing it in a way in which makes it relatable. So I guess with, with, with Muslim comics, if you will, people are referring to just doing material that they assume only Muslims are going to get. Right. Which is my next question is that, do you find it difficult sometimes when you are in those different circles or those different types of shows that you have to scale back some of your content when you, when your uh, target audience or your audience in specific is Muslims? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I was just telling the, the, at this conference I was at that I'll be in, I'll be in, I've been in shows and I'll teach non-Muslims how to attack beer. They have no idea. I'm this global domination. Every, when you leave my show, you will be a Muslim. And we're there and we're like, attack beer. They're like, what do we say? I say, a long wake bar. They'll go right through it. So I don't, you know, my thing is like, just, we're just people. You, you mean, so the material is just talking about family and relationships and right, stuff that's right. just relatable. And, you know, are, are there terms in which that even when I am in those regular rooms that the tech beer terms where I know I got to add a few more lines to do some more explanation of okay. it, where I could be in a Muslim room and I can hit it. You where, already know. Yeah. I so mean, they already know. Rather. They don't know. So. so. So when you're doing most of your content or some of your content in front of a lot of, um, you know, Muslims, are you changing up some of that content to be when you spoke about being relatable? Like I know sometimes I know we just talked about this when you were kind of using the word nigga in, in, in the set that you were doing mm-hmm. and some crushed it. 25 minutes of straight fire. You ask anybody about this past weekend in Philadelphia, it's 25 minutes of straight fire improv it's <laughs> material that you just kind of spit off the top of the dome. Muffin cap blown room was crazy, but I use the N word. Like if you're going to talk about it, let's talk about it. I did use the N word and some people were offended by it. Right. So like, again, so, since you brought that up, like, how does that, how does that, um, we're talking about nigga, not noodles. <laughs> can I say that? On this yeah, you can, you okay. can. Yeah. Yeah. When you had that situation and, and, and what happened, happened, uh, you know, when you are, do you find yourself being apprehensive at the next show or, you know, when you get wind of that, that what, you know, how do you feel about that when that stuff comes up? I'm not above reproach. I am a person that I, I, I do feel like, and I just was explaining this earlier too. the power of the platform. We have to be even of this platform. I agree. You know, the power of your platform and of the microphone. This is a, this is a very powerful tool. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in using that, we can't be displaced from the responsibility of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so after that event, it was something when it was brought to my attention because and we explained this in the set where, you know, the word came out because culturally, especially in Philadelphia, especially is just so ingrained into how we communicate. Right. You know, what I mean, and um, so sometimes because some people said to me, you know, I, they, they didn't even hear me say it because it's just it's, regular conversation. 
conversation. It's a, it's somebody was like, we use that in our bus. Yeah. At Juma. You right. hear the imam use the word. Right. But um, I've never heard any imam use that, by the way. <laughs> Shameless plug. Um, all the imams be texting me, I ain't never say it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. So after that, when people were telling me that, you know, it was like, yeah, I apologized because there were kids in the room. And, you know, and someone asked me, like, would you feel aware of your children when in the room? And I, and I genuinely said no, not for that word. And I'm not saying that that that, you know, some people may look at that and think that's wrong. Um, but I, I think, again, it's a bigger conversation of the context of the word and how we've and the intentionality behind it. Mm-hmm. And so even in some of my reproach, it was really just explaining to people what the intention was, because I think that that's very important. Um, and so I didn't feel as if that I owed anyone an ex- an explanation right. or an apology, right. but the people in, in which that the responsibility of my platform and understanding that and curating spaces and, and, and events for that, um, I am obligated to make sure that when people leave there, you know, that they had a great experience because, because as a businessman, you, in anything in life, what you're doing, there's a difference between customer service and customer experience. Okay. You know what I mean? And for me and, and my shows, my, anything I'm curating, I want the customer to leave and have a great, it's great that somebody, you know, they smiled at you and they, and they were nice to you. That was right, nice. Right. But like the, did, but did the experience is the only thing that'll bring repeat business. Right. And so when I felt as if that some people left that show and didn't have a great experience, I, I did feel obligated to make it right. You kind of talked about, you didn't feel like. You know, you owed an apology and all of that. When that type of stuff comes up, like for me, like, you know, I, I do a lot of stuff kind of unapologetically. And when people are I, like, we're very open. I, like I, I earn that term. I, I own that term, by the way. Uh, unapologetically Muslim. Yeah. 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 You do. You do. Trademark. Well, you, you own that phrase. You don't own the word apologetically. I'll sue you. OK. Um, <laughs> we have two people specifically that watch our that I know for a fact watches the entire podcast that we've done. And they've even t- gone so far as giving me feedback on a lot of stuff. So m- when people are um, giving you that feedback, like how often do you take that feedback and just kind of pour it into your next set? Or do, is it one of those things, not necessarily in one ear and out the other, but how much do you, you know, take it in and use it? Um, mm, That's a great question, actually, because... It sometimes it manifests in ways that like when I'm even doing improv, for example, that's one of the I was telling someone that's one of the dangers of improv, because like your our minds move so fast. Shout out to the comedians. I was just talking about Robin Williams, Azeem, Mm -hmm. comedians that, you know, rapid fire comics where your mind can move so fast. And so I've trained my mind as well. I do a lot of crowd work and my mind moves so fast that there are times where I don't even know what I, I watch my own shows back. Because sometimes I don't know what I'm what I've said. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes there, there, there are those issues where you I might say something that just was osmosis that might have came past. It's like I ain't want to tell nobody I was pregnant. I'm like, congratulations. It might just have come out. Mm-hmm. You know, what I mean, so there are times where I think that um, I, you know, there's that responsibility as well. But just I'm, I'm I might just be going so fast that stuff. It might have just been something on my mind. Mm-hmm. And then it just comes down because I'm just pulling from stuff and finding what's working. Um, and there are times it's interesting. This conference that I did today, um, the last time I did this conference, they had it some years back. And it was a situation where I had done a, a, a bit. And that was that was a great example of a time where it showed me just the power of the microphone, but how just the 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 uncertainty of an audience you know what I mean? Because an audience can be with you and then they can be against you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that first 10, 15 minutes, it was Def Comedy Jam in there. I had them. It was where it was at the same conference. And um, I had done a joke that I've since retired. And I and I, 
<laughs> I'm not above reproach. Um, but I did a joke. Um, but sometimes it took, again, going through it to understand the sensitivities behind it mm -hmm. where, you know, me. And then sometimes it might just be a joke like the joke I used to tell about the um, with you with the, with the credit. Okay. The beginning. Okay. Stuff that like I might only tell that joke if you were in the room. Right. Right. Because right. it's going to hit more. Right. Um, so I had did this joke and um, long story short, uh, the woman had gotten offended by it. And, you know, she made and so she starts like crying at the table. You know, what I mean, and I'm I'm like, I'm, first of all, I'm like five minutes past that joke. Right. And um, she started you know, crying at the table. So it's like getting, a, a, you know, abnormally loud where she's, <laughs> you know, one of them jaws. So I got to be like, you good, sweetie bumpkins, one of them. And she's like, you know, of course, it's the girlfriend, always the bag holder. That's like, no, you offended her. She went in, you know, what I mean, to take up for her. And I was like, oh, well, what happened type thing? Because I had I'm way past. So that. you don't even know what offended her. And my mind moves so fast. I'm five, six bits in. And um, she then so then she gets up dramatically, and I'm talking about it was like it was like time stopped. The chair slow motion fell. It was a series of unfortunate events this night, you know. And um, so she left out the room, and then there was a guy in the back of the room, and then I'm like, oh man, it was that offensive. I'm like the table. I just did the joke going back to the joke. I'm like, was y'all offended at that? And then there's a hush in the room now. You know, the same people that had just been, they was like, they, hey, yeah. it was a little bit. Yeah. It was like, you know, a little pin drop in there. And I'm like, okay, well, I understand it just said a third, but then it was a gentleman in the room, you know, he, you know, he stood up and he's like, you know, yeah. He's like, you're disrespecting the black families and this, that, and the third, whatever. Was he black? He was a black man, but it was interesting because I did the ultimate no, no. And I was too far in my career to understand is like most any comic out there watching any stage person, you never give up your microphone. You don't ever give up your microphone, okay. not unless you have total control of the situation. Right. And, and I, you gave it to him. Because I wasn't, a, because I had misread this, the whole vibe. Okay. You know what I mean? And, and the people had, because they thought it was a bit. Because he stands up and he's just like, you disrespectful. And I'm like, you can you think you can do better? Type thing. Come up here. And I'm like, make some noise for him. Type thing. That was my first mistake. <laughs> and he came up there and he got the microphone and he gave me a tongue lashing. Yes, he did. He gave me a whole school, you're disrespectful. And he gave me a chutbah. If you will. Oh, old guy. He wasn't old. He wasn't old, but he gave me a little chutbah and it was a whole moment. It was a pin drop in the room and I had to bring some levity as he walked off stage. I said, Buzz Killington, table for one. He's here. <laughs> and after that, it was like I had to address it. But it was it was a it was so dynamic because um, what happened was and I'm going through a similar situation now. But what happened was after that happened and, you know, I, I was hosting. So, I, you know, we just went along with the program. Right. I'm still being paid. And uh, he came to me at the end and apologized. Mm -hmm. Right. The, the thing was all over. He's mm -hmm. like, man, I'm sorry, man. I was feeling it. He right. got his he had his moment. Right. 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 Um, but I say it's disingenuous because I said you did that publicly, but your apology was private. You know, so my whole thing is. And again, that's important. You know, what I mean, because sometimes the accusation of a thing is worse than the thing. Mm. So, you know, that. I don't remember where I was going with that, but just how audiences in general is mm -hmm. like comedy is just one of them things that's so subjective. And as you just really kind of learned, that was one of the questions at the thing. What do you, how do you tailor material for particular crowds? That's actually what was going to be. You know what I mean? Mind. And it's just, it, it, you know, Richard Pryor, I used this quote. I said, you know, Richard Pryor, he used to say, you know, comedy is tragedy viewed from across the street. You know, comedy is tragedy viewed from across the street. We mm -hmm. all love to look at a train wreck. We mm -hmm, love to look mm -hmm. at something in the safe space. And they asked him, why do white people support you so much? If you go back and look at that black, y'all got up on Richard Pryor way later in his career. You know, mm -hmm. early on, they're live from Sunset Strip and all that stuff is white people in the crowds. And they asked him, why do white people support 90% of your crowds is white? He mm -hmm. said, because my comedy is safari for them. You know, white people love to go on safari. Mm -hmm. they, they love do. to get in a protective vehicle. And then they look at the lions and the tigers and the bears. And the oh, my. Yeah, and the monkeys. Yeah, the monkeys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 
And um, so, you know, he gets up there and he used comedy as that vehicle to talk about my experiences. I was cracked out and mm-hmm. set myself on fire. All and his they, stories. And they just and like, they wow, just, oh, my, these, these right, N-words. Right, we right. love these N-words. Right, 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 right. And um, so, you know, I think it's really figuring out that perspective is like, you know, we're on both sides of the street. That's how I look at comedy. Okay. We're on both sides of the street. You see a six, I see a nine. We're both right. But we got different perspective. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm on stage trying to get you to see my six. Or are you trying to get me to see your nine? But it's a one-way conversation. So I know when I'm on stage, I'm having a one-way conversation with the audience. Now, unless you you talking to the audience and right. doing crowd work. But typically, it's you. The only reaction you're getting is laughter, right. booze, or silence. But mm-hmm. you're chasing laughs. Mm-hmm. You know, so once you start to figure out the, you know, I, I watch comedy different now because once you start to f- figure out, like, you'll do this. As you build this podcast, you'll start to, you'll watch podcasts different. You'll, you'll, you probably do now. I do. You know, I actually, like, I oh, do. they did, oh, they know oh, that's the ZX34 they got. Look at that. He started knowing the terms because he uplaid Google and he think he decent. He got his little notes over here. Let's keep going because I want the people to know I'm proud of this man. <laughs> I appreciate that. You, you said something that's going to eventually lead me into our platform, which is sports related, but you said you watch yourself and, whether you know or not in sports, you know, teams, they watch film of themselves to, to kind of look at their mistakes and see how they can run a play better. Do you watch com- your comedy back in that regard? Or are you watching for like where you may have offended somebody? Like what are you specifically looking at when you're watching your comedy back? I, I'd only wa- I only watch for the nuance of me. When I watched a setback, I was just was watching a clip here of uh, the stuff. I hate to watch my hear my voice back, but when I watch those clips back, I'm I'm paying attention to the nuance of the bits. You know, what I mean, it's, it's certain little mannerisms. Mm-hmm, there's certain mm-hmm. you know little taglines that I might say. There's certain things that I'm saying on stage. People won't believe that, but there's certain things I might say on stage that's just for me. You know what I mean? Because later it's like, how am I going to string that? Where stuff that might go over a person's head because it's not curated in a space like that. And when you when you do that specifically, you're saying just for me or you kind of string that. Are you looking? Do you find stuff like, you know what? I should have either expanded more on that or do I, you know, oh, I can write that. But I'm trying bits. I'm fleshing things out. Right. Like like that. Like this show I just did. It was, you know, just stuff that I just have just names of things I have wrote. Right. And it's all stuff that I don't. I've never done this material before. So the way like Richard Pryor would write his jokes is he would just write the punchline. For example, he might just write the, the word that that one word that's going to make it funny. Right. Which was the destination. Mm-hmm. He would say that's the destination. Um, but it's a million different ways that you to can take there. to get there. Right. Like right now, even to get here, you know, the GPS, there might have been four or five different ways I could have taken to get to this same building. Mm-hmm. Right. So the building is the punchline. That's the joke. Um, the, dest- the journey becomes the crowd I'm in front of. The journey becomes I don't know what I'm going to get from a person. I might have to I might. I'd already know that I'm I'm a lead a person to a punchline about marriage or relationships, but I got to get there first. So how long you been this your lady? I might have to take a million different ways mm-hmm. until I draw them and draw them and draw them just to hit them with something that to hit the crowd with something. Mm-hmm. Where now, from your perspective, I, it's all off the top of my dome, mm-hmm. but which it is, but it's calculated. It's mm-hmm. not like people who you study your craft. You're not just putting a microphone up and there's a lot that goes into just all jokes aside I mean it's funny but it's a lot that goes into the pre-production of turning this microphone on Yeah, you know what I mean yeah. and I think sometimes as consumers we be displaced from that part of it the innovation is always nice people see my job and what I can do and I've had a great fabulous career and you know but that's saying innovation is rewarded but execution is worshipped the innovation is not enough the creativity ain't enough that's just the you know the only thing that separates those who are successful from those that could have been successful is the execution 
And that's all that pre-production that goes into, you know, going to Kinko's and getting these nice, lovely signs. I want you to get a clip for right there. That bothers me. <laughs> Don't you ever droop that sign again. We're working on that. I understand. We're Listen, this is that. a work in but progress. Actually, and hey, go ahead that cash yet because we got to support these black businesses and podcasts. Yeah, I appreciate that. But you, you, are, you are speaking something very... Um, near and dear because you're right the execution and the production and all of that like so even with this and this whole realm and this element that I'm in and you know I've done is like a lot of times even when I did it with CJ and then you know I started doing with Bo or Keep just, It Moving was ahead of this time can we say that on wax? Yeah it definitely was it definitely was the consistency is the only thing Yeah, I'm it, telling you because that would have been that was million dollars worth of game yeah, before million dollars worth of game it was the, the Jesus tomorrow shout out to them guys all, yeah. also but yeah I wish I would have stayed with it but my point to that is a a lot of times for me, I, you know, I, I kind of just start stuff um, and I never kind of see it through. And it's like one of them things for me where it's like I never feel like people are really interested. And, I, and, and what I realize is a lot of times I wasn't doing it for me. Mm. I was doing it for, to the satisfaction of for other people. And now for this particularly, I'm actually doing this for me. Like, like you said, like when you're on stage, you do that for you. I'm doing this for me. Yeah, we have a platform. Yeah, you know, the people are really loving it. Yeah, I've done some things for your nephew, for my son, and, and other peers of his. But like this part of it, I'm actually doing for me. Like I'm really enjoying it. Does this bring you joy? It, I'm very much enjoying it. That was it. one of the questions at this. Shout very out to the Black Muslim Psychology Conference. That's what brought me down here. I, you know, I spoke at this psychology conference. And uh, one of the questions was, that's rarely asked to us as men and black men. Um, but they said, what brings you joy? You know, and that's a heavy question. It is a heavy I mean, question. when you talk about joy and, and words are so powerful, um, words are very, very powerful. And even in Islam, you know, words are so powerful. My, one of my favorite um, ayats in, in Quran is repeated twice. It says, it says, verily with difficulty comes ease. Verily with hardship comes ease. But a law so specific about the word with Right. It doesn't say verily before difficulty or verily after difficulty comes easy. He's saying you're going to go through some hard stuff right. and, and I'm promising you some ease at the end. Mm -hmm. But he's saying I'm going to be there with you, too. Right. Mm -hmm. So the words, I think, are, are um, just so powerful and like how we use them and how we frame the narratives around. Um, I don't even know what I was saying. Um, <laughs> there's no AC in here. I, that's another thing I want to say that we really need to support these podcasts because the first thing that they need is some 5,000 BTUs coming from this window here. It's very warm in here. <laughs> well, you have on a sheepskin jacket with <laughs> jean-like material. I understand. You have on a 1958. Let that that 70s show. Please. And then you also wearing a fedora. Mm. That probably is lined with some type of sheepskin fur. Yeah. Lamb's yeah. wool, if yeah. you will. If, if I will. If you, and I won't. Okay. All right. Anyway, back to my questions. Um, when did you uh, get into comedy and when did you realize that this was like your thing? You know what? Wait, let me take that back because I don't want to call it a thing. Okay. I don't want to call it a thing. Okay. Um, because as much as, in all seriousness, as much as you have always told me and just said that you are a proud of me, I'm like, I'm very proud of you. You got a chance to see me in Chicago. In this very city, I feel like that was a year that I made him a believer that in my craft. That's not true. Because he came. Okay. Before That's then, first true. of all, he's a one day one. Let me let me say okay. that. If you okay. go back on my first show, he's right. laughing aloud. Okay. Me. But I feel like that event, and that was in 2021 when, I, when I, I curated the whole entertainment yes. uh, for, okay. for Mass. 
guests for the MassCon convention, for yes. those of you who don't know, 10,000 strong in the room. Um, but I also do do that. Let my people laugh productions. I, mm-hmm. I produce and curate events. I don't just perform on them. I am a producer. I don't even like, my, you know, they say, they get mad that I say, call myself Moses the comic. I'm Moses the creative. Okay, because I do a lot more than just comedy. Okay, uh, but I did. I, I curated that event and um, a million dollar production. That was a million dollar stage. That whole production they spent wow. a million dollars just on that, that. stage. You step that. on that stage and it's like the American Idol. That thing is serious. Yeah. And yeah, he was backstage. He got a chance to see that. I said, I said, my brother's proud of me. He's seeing how I'm, I'm being. I, I he had his little badge and I had him plugged him in with his security. I listen. I've been supporting you too. Yeah, that's true. That's true. When you started comedian, when did you? When did you become like? When did you know that this was it? Shout out to Nedge. I got a shout out to Nedge. Okay. Because I told that story earlier. Shout out to Nedge. She was ahead of her time. There was a female Muslim comic in Philadelphia named Lady Smith. Okay. Najwa. She was a pioneer. Okay. Uh, you know, before pioneers. And um, at my 25th birthday party, mm-hmm. my 25th birthday party that we had like a um, karaoke jam, if you will. And, and she was telling me she was going to be doing comedy in a couple of weeks. She was going down to the laugh house. And I said, man, you know, I was so motivated by that. Like, man, Muslim sister. And at that time, it was unprecedented. Did we talk? I've been doing this almost 15 years. Right. It was unprecedented. And um, she we made a pact that night. She I, and I told this story earlier. I'm I, I'm I'm where I am. Obviously, I did the work, but I'm where I am that first push because of a black Muslim woman. Mm. You know, because she because her fearlessness. You know, she. I was so motivated and inspired that she told me she was going to an open mic at the comedy club. And y'all had always my whole life told me you need to do yeah that you need comedy. to do that yeah yeah. And we stepped into the hallway <clears throat> at my birthday party, my twenty fifth birthday party. We stepped into the hallway and and she said she said I'll do it if you do it. And that became our mantra. I, if I'll do it, if you do it. And um, we, we said, we're going to sign up. And we spent the next couple of weeks writing our little material. And, and, um, and it just was, again, one of those type of things that we plan. And, but, but God is the best of planners because we got there and um, we had gotten there late or something and we couldn't get in. And I was like, shout out to Fatine, you know, because my brother Fatine, he, he, he showed up and um, they recognized him at the door. And you shout out to Kendra, the family soul. And he was like, you know, that's his claim to fame. Like I use the K card. The K card. That's K a family card. thing. Family thing is the K card, you know, uh, to get us in the door. And uh, they let, they let me and me and Nadge in. And when they went to, when they went to sign up, he went to sign, he wrote on there, Moses, the comic, you know, cause I hadn't even, what was just you didn't even have yeah, a name I'm just like Musa Suleiman. I don't know what I'm going. And, um, it was a show called Funny Money. It was Funny Money Wednesday. Shout out to the late great Sugar Bear, D. Holland. Yes. One of the funniest comedians from, I don't know, I think he, you know, we claimed him in Philly, but I think he came from Carolina or something. But Sugar Bear was, Sugar Bear to me, it was one of my top five favorite comics ever. He was up there to me with Patrice O'Neill. Mm. Sugar Bear was that good. Yeah, he was funny. Um, he was better than funny. He was that good. <laughs> and um, he used to do all the shows at Parkside and stuff. So we he was hosting. They used to have Funny Money. The first half of the show used to be like the signups. Mm-hmm. And um, and Josh Kosh. Shout out to Josh Kosh, Philadelphia's finest. And then the second half was like Sugar Bear with the real people. Right. And um, because of the way just the show had went, they we got pushed on kind of to the real half. Not the amateur hat. So the way funny money was, was that while you're on stage, they passing a bucket around and people putting the money in there. Okay. If you're funny, if you're not, that's how you get paid. And, um, and that's what happened. She went, she went on the first half, I believe. And just because of timing, I think that sugar bear wanted to bring me up. And, um, and uh, yeah, man, I I did my, my little seven, eight minutes, whatever it was. And I remember I had $61 in the bucket. $61, 61 dollars 60 of it my mother put there but that dollar was a fan <laughs> you understand that was a fan and that's all i needed was that one dollar got me going and i never looked back 
Tell us about the first time you ever bombed at a show. Oh, my dear God. And the guy who made sure he, I knew I bombed was Chicago's finest. Um, what's my man name? Um, Ray Grady. Are you serious? Ray Grady. Shout out to the great Ray Grady, you know, great comic. Um, you know, you never know you bomb until, you know, afterwards. They like at the let out. They'll let you know at the let out. I was like, next time, baby. You got them next time, okay? You you keep doing it though. I'm like, oh. Um, and I bombed because I was it was a helium and early on, probably a year or two years and whatever. Um, I was so confident. I remember being so confident about, you know, you start learning the structure of being on stage where people last per minute, people need to be laughing, age where people last per minute, people need to be laughing. People really only remember your first joke and your last joke. You know, as a comic, until you become a name, people remember you by your jokes. That's the comic that tell that joke. Mm -hmm. And so um, people got to be laughing in the first 30 seconds on stage and people need to be laughing in the last 10 seconds on stage. Like you got to open strong and close strong because they only going to remember that. Mm -hmm. So I had this opening joke that was like in my head. This thing right here, this the one. Right. And it had been the one. And that's actually why I stopped doing that joke about you so much. Because when I used to do the jokes about you when I first started, they was crushing because he was coming to every show. And when the person is there for reference and he's laughing loud, that's contagious. It was always crushing. And I, I never forget the first place I did that joke about you. And they was like, <coughs> and I was like, that's getting retired. Never again. You never want to hear a nigga cough at a comedy show. If it's, if it's, <laughs> if it's silent enough to hear a cough, you're not doing well. <laughs> and they coughed at that. And I didn't know that was early on where I didn't know how to pivot. That was some of the best advice that I got. I think it was a comedian named Lawrence Owens. I'm dropping all the names, but Lawrence Owens is another comic that, um, I believe had given me the advice of learn to be comfortable in silence on stage because I, I naturally talk fast. Right. And mm -hmm. I used to think other comics used to tell me to slow down so much that, you know, they used to make me think it was like this crutch and slow down on stage, slow down when you talk. And, um, until I started meeting comics that spoke fast, but they spoke with, with purpose and, he taught me how to be comfortable in the silence because early on when I would do a joke and it didn't go well, mm -hmm. I didn't know how to pivot. You know what I mean? And he used to say, you know, you rush your jokes out because I only had so much time on stage. He sat me down and used to be like, you know, people, they get, they buy, they ticket right ahead of time. They wait, they pick out the outfit. They take a shower, they get dressed. They drive to the place. They stand in line. They get seated. They might get food, go to dinner first. They sit right here. And then for you to get up there and go that fast, mm -hmm. like slow down. Mm -hmm. And he, and he taught me how to be comfortable in the silence where silence in itself, something has to fill that silence. Either a laughter will, a cough will, or just something. And I used to be so uncomfortable with that. And so when I, I stopped doing that joke because of that, but in that bomb, and I remember being at Helium that day, I was like so confident about this joke. And it had been killing in the black rooms. Mm -hmm. Another mistake. Make sure you, you know, your material is universal. You and you're like, make some noise if you got roaches. They're like, we all have 401ks. They don't have roaches where they come from. <laughs> and it was one of them type of things. I went out there to do, uh, you know, and, but, and the thing was, because time, because comedy is timing too, you know, because that's why a lot of jazz is like mm -hmm. a lot of old comics would have jazz in the in the background mm -hmm. because it's all those different beats and the timing of it. Because comedy is timing, my bits were timed. Okay, so I would time my next bit based on the come down of the laughter. Okay, if there's no laughter, I don't even. I'm like, oh my god, it's going down. You're you're like thrown I'm off. mad, discombobulated. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I came out and I did the joke and hit the punchline. <coughs> And heard that cough, and I was like, oh, dear God, that's Jason Bourne. <laughs> that's Jason Bourne right there. And uh, I didn't know where to go. And 
I, it was it was this. It was silent for a second. I was like, yeah, so um, yeah, make some noise if you got a face. When comics start asking you to make some noise for any little conspicuous thing, and then make some noise if you got a nose. If you believe in God, make some noise. They're stalling for time trying to find something. Like, make some noise if you've ever ate food. You ate food, ma'am? Did you eat food? What was the food like that you ate? We just searching for something. I did that, and that wasn't going nowhere. And I think I tried to, like, fluff my way to, like, my clothing bit. That was, like, at that time, something about the boys or something. And, right. um, and But by then, I had lost them. And so I got off stage and then, and I learned so much this night because this night also showed me this before I started hosting. Like I am, I'm one of the best hosts in the business, by the way, (laughs) but uh, humbly, but, um, this was the night that I was like, I'll never do that because Ray Grady got up there. Shout out to him. And I love Ray Grady still to this day. He got up there and he eviscerated me. His whole, it was like his whole bit. And I, and I get it as comics. We're going to find something like, you know what I mean? And he got up there and his whole next bit in between bringing who else was on that show was, um, it was me, Ray Grady and, uh, Chris Spencer, Chris Spencer, man. Shout out to Chris Spencer. And uh, he was headlining before he brought Chris out. He did about a five to six, seven minute bit on my bombing. And I had to sit there and take it all. And I remember saying, if I ever get an opportunity to do that, I would never do that to someone if they don't do well. And have just, you did that? I have never. I have never. But that was my experience. And I'm not saying that he was wrong for doing it right, because right, right. it's fair game. Right, right. But I was so embarrassed because it, but it was a teachable moment because I was like, that'll never happen again. You know, and I've never that's never happened again. I've done like the guy came up and got the microphone. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, you know, I've never really had those moments. OK. Uh, how do you balance being one of the faces of the Islamic community as it relates to comedy and who you are as a whole and how silly you are? Like, how do you Man. Uh, balance that? That's tough. You know, um, that's tough. You know, just trying to, the duality that exists between Moses and Musa and being in, you know, those communities and really just also still being a representation of Abby and, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, and I thought about that recently, even about that big, you know, what I mean, really in those worlds, because in some in some ways, it's like I am him now, mm-hmm. you know, in certain of those circles <laughs> where I'm just carrying that legacy on and uh, uh, pretty much all of them, you know. And so th- th- that duality that exists with th- th- that's a part of my identity, too, you know, where and bring and then sometime we're cross over where I might bring that world into there where this stuff happens, where, like I said, the N word or, mm-hmm. or what mm-hmm. would happen. Um so I, I think it's the complexities of that, but it's just, again, me being cognizant and aware of I'm all I'm always aware of I'm a representation of something bigger than me. Mm-hmm. You know, just being a black man, first and foremost, you know, shout out to uh, Bashir Jones, a former councilman Bashir Jones, because, you know, he, he talked about this term triple consciousness. Right. Which was which was a derivative of of talking about uh, the term from um, W.E.D., of the of double consciousness of that you know we're we're always this as black people conscious of the fact that we're you're a black man or you're a black woman mm-hmm. that's always in the back of our mind mm-hmm. no matter what situation you're in you know I'm a black man or I'm a black woman and people see you that way they see you that way mm-hmm. but how we start to identify ourselves by people seeing us that way that's what he was talking about gotcha. so the idea of triple consciousness is that like I'm always aware that's like I'm a black muslim man you know, I know I'm always wearing those sorts of no matter what room I go into. I know I'm I'm judged based on that. Mm-hmm. You know, I conduct myself based on that because I'm a representation of something bigger, mm-hmm. just like Muslim women. I feel like are the visual representations of Islam. Mm-hmm. So there's a responsibility even more in that and in, in, in the hijab and different things that's powerful. So even me being a man, when I go into places, I may be a Muslim. Um, I'm always aware of that even more so, I think, than my my race 
or my gender. Mm. You know, it's like, how am I going to be perceived as being Muslim here? Even when I go places and it's like the Philly beard, like mm -hmm. it's just associated with being, mm -hmm. I, and I travel internationally and people will know, like even in Philly, Philadelphia is known as, Philadelphia internationally is known as Little Mecca. They, I've, people literally refer to Philadelphia as Little Mecca because, because Muslim population it's such so a strong, huge. over 300,000 mm -hmm. Muslims is such mm -hmm. a big population of Muslims and the Muslims are so integrated into the fabric of the city right. where you have to, in some way, do Muslim, you know, some of the biggest labor leaders and, and I politicians. Say, I was just going to say, because some of the leaders of the actual city are Muslim yes, or they are... They the work, ones behind the scenes yeah, moving say, the needle. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, they Muslim. So yeah. that's what I'm saying. Come on over. The water's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Who's your community here? and why Martin Lawrence why um, they may not remember this but that's interesting let me give you some flowers then because that moment with Nadge I have moments in my life that were pivotal moments that I think back to is like when you think back on the trajectory of your life certain pivotal moments and moments that you knew altered your path you can think back to a moment where you decided to do a thing and you're like, if I decided not to do that thing, whatever came of that, you know, if you did the other thing, your path would have been altered. Yeah. And so good and bad. And, you know, so there's moments like that where I've had those moments where it's like, man, my, like my life will be changed from this. And um, it was in Mo 1994. Moving here was that mm. was that moment. Like if I look, I sometimes think about if I didn't move here, not only where would I be, honestly, like where would me and Celeste be? Have we not moved here? I'm All really right. just surprised Celeste stayed with you this long. I really wanted Celeste before him. Um, I don't know if she ever knew that. And we just, cause we're going to do all bombshells out here and I don't know why, but you know, she chose him and, and I'm happy for y'all, but that's the best thing that ever happened to you. That's a girl with your point that she was making. The best thing that ever happened to you. And he didn't cash at me $20 to say that. And it was 10 short. I need that other 10 to love you, boo. Um, what was my moment? <laughs> you was talking about 1994. Oh, about. in 1994, my life changed trajectory. You know why? Because this man right here took me someplace I shouldn't have been. You know where you took me? To see You So Crazy. In 1994, my big brother took me to see You So Crazy, the comedy special. And that, that special changed my life. To this day, You So Crazy is single-handedly the catalyst for me wanting to be a comedian. And, 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 and so much so that, that I'll, I'll watch that back as if you watch me, so many of my mannerisms, I, I used to watch that as like my blueprint that was your for blueprint. that's how to be funny. Mm. Like Martin Lawrence, you know, I don't think he gets enough flowers, but it's like, that's how to be funny. And you so crazy was one of those, just his timing, his delivery, the way he would, his callbacks, the, the, it, he was so animated. And, and that's why even in this past, um, show I just did this past weekend that 25 minutes of straight fire you can google it um humbly <laughs> that 25 minutes of straight fire what was so special about it for me is because that that was in a room over 400 people in the room but a lot of the material were were was specific to the people in that room mm -hmm. so to be able in to, the moment in the moment and so to be able to do jokes about people that contextually only other people that know those people are going to know mm -hmm. that it's the performance of it that makes it funny mm -hmm. and when i was watching those clips back that's what i pay attention to the mm -hmm. nuance of the performance mm -hmm. little the, the gestures and the things that now will become bits now that that improv will then become actual bits the ones that worked um but i, I watched martin do that and you so crazy and i'm and i after i saw that i was like i'm gonna do that that was the first time me being like, I, I, I want to elicit, I watch those crowd shots and like whatever he's doing, I want to make people do that mm. feel that way. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, uh, talk about that B, our father, how we were raised, his impact on us all and his legacy in our community. Shout out to Ayub Suleiman, 
may Allah be pleased with him. Rahimullah, may Allah make his grave spacious and full of light. Amen. Amen. Grant him with genital for dose. Um, the biggest thing that I think I be did that, you know, that Allah grant him paradise is that he, he planted this, those seeds in us, that the fact that we're still Muslim, mm-hmm. I, that's how I feel. You know, the fact that, the fact that, that I'm still Muslim, you know, f- first off that Allah loved me enough that I'm still Muslim, but the, you know, as a testament to that, you can raise righteous children that can still inter- be intercessors for you. And, you know, Allah says there's so many different intercessors between us and God. You know, he said, you can, you can reach God through your kids, through your service, through charity, through your spouse, mm-hmm. you know, so that's just one vessel. And, um, so our parents, that's a major vessel, um, and things that, I'm re- I'm realizing now, and I was just telling somebody earlier of going through treasure trove of um, things that I found when I was doing these renovations at the house of Abby's possessions, and I'm I'm putting together all this little thing for my siblings because it's a lot of you know memorabilia and stuff that I found in there. Um, but some of the stuff that I found in there, it blew my muffin cap off because it was it gave me a whole different perspective of Abby. You know, there were there were mint condition certificates in there from when he was still in prison of, of classes that he was taking, just preparing himself to to come back home to us. Parenting classes, you know, life skills classes, mm. accounting, um, time management, anger management, like mint condition certificates from real programs that he had been going through, you know, and it's like you those are lenses that you don't get a chance to see things from. And um, so as I'm as I've gotten older and I'm able to appreciate so much more of who Abby was, even with his flaws, mm-hmm. um, I'm able to see him from, from different lenses. So yeah, our dad man was like a no nonsense military guy, but what he instilled in us most is he was a, and mommy says this about Abby, that his biggest trait was that he always make a way out of no way. Mm-hmm. My dad was like, if it needed to be done, he would do it. And you wouldn't, you didn't have to ask him to do it. You know, he would just do it. And um, I think he instilled that in all his boys where we just, if, I, if it need to be done, it's going to get done. And it don't matter. I'm, I'm, I'm the type of person, it don't matter if the floor need to be mopped, you know what I mean? Or a joke need to be told. I'm going to do it mm-hmm. to feed my family. Um, and, and there's no telling how we going to, what we will do to get it done. Listen. <laughs> right. And since you brought up mommy, uh, t- talk about her sacrifice that she made for mm. us. My mother, first of all, shout out to my mom. My mom had me when she was 35. That's first and foremost. You know I me? Mean? Cause I want to tell this story. I know you ain't supposed to tell a woman's age, but I got to tell this story to explain how dynamic my mother was. I gave her her flowers at the show in Philly. Um, was she but, there? Yeah, she was there. Okay. Um, and shout out to Auntie when she watches this because because I'll be moving so fast. My aunt Tahira was sitting next to her, and it wasn't intentional, but I was just moving and grooving, and I forgot to give flowers to my beloved aunt Tahira, who is our second mother, and she is a woman that has been so influential in my life. So this is for you, Aunt Tahira. Okay, I love you, boo. Um, but mommy. My mom had me when she was 35 years old, right? And went back to college, you know, in her 40s. And that was dynamic for me because mm-hmm. I'm just like, that just taught me it's never too late, you know, to get an education. And you're talking about a woman who um, they've sacrificed, particularly her, but all of our parents, but like they they sacrificed so much for the benefit of us. You know, mommy, mommy, when we was on Umrah and that a lot wrote a moment for me to be able to, you know, make that trip, you know, with mommy and on that trip, mommy said that she knows her next big milestone in life is death. 
that's a heavy line. That is. As she said that when we had, the, you know, that's the, my mom's, you know, constant line is that her next big milestone in life is death. So, you know, when you when you get to that age where 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 that's prevalent and you you understand that is that the sacrifices that they've made is like there's more years behind her than uh, in in front of her. So in front of her. and 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 being aware of that, but then also our responsibility is recognizing. That's why I'm like, my mother is just the best of everything in us. And she, every dime, every dollar, every cent, every breath, you know, in my regard belongs to her because she's just sacrificed so much. You know, she started having kids in her twenties and, you know, mean, and, and she had six children and she spent her life raising us in that we're all, alhamdulillah, you know, look at us. We all successful, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And we all got our wits about us. And so my mom is a dynamic woman. And I just think our parents, you know, we really, once you take the lens back now and it's like all this little things that we used to just complain about is just like, man, we, mm -hmm. I, I, and I work with kids, you know, I don't do And that's a whole nother thing. But this career that I've had, man, I've university classes and I've done, done so much and seen so much and traveled the world and seen families and people that are displaced from the things that we just have. You know, right. that we that, that we, we just was talking about this, you know, we were just talking about and this. our kids, too. It's like we we even in Islam when I when I talk about how, you know, we really I, I use that as the metaphor for currency, because it's like we we inherited Islam. We didn't earn it. Right. You know, our parents and, you know, all the pioneers of, of Islam that really established it, the black Muslims. You know, that's why I taught that class on black Muslim history, because the black Muslim contribution to the landscape of Islam is very important. And so when you talk about, um, you know, our parents establishing Islam in America and then us second generation, we born into it. Mm -hmm. Right. It's like being born into money. You know, you don't have you the same reverence it. for right, it. Right. You know what I mean? So that's why we struggle with our slam so much where our parents is like at, at B and the mommy, they die hard. If we was with our dad and Salat come in and you on the L, you get your wudu and call the Adhan. You about to make Salat on the on L. L. On the L. On the L. On the platform, no matter where you just being there. You, he going down in the sister and Raku, you trying to act like you looking for change because people looking. We've been through it all. It was rough being Muslim in the 90s. Yeah, yeah we didn't play. We, pray, we prayed any and everywhere. Listen here. Any and everywhere. I remember I'd be taking us, going with us to uh, one of the little carnival things that way out in the Northeast and, you know, the whole, and we stopped what we was doing, playing and carnival yeah. to pray. Yeah. yeah, to pray. And it was crazy. Yeah. I mean, it was crazy then as a child, like, cause you didn't understand, but when you think about it now and the way it works, it's not but those so disciplines, what I respect about it, BS Giddens, it just taught me those those disciplines, if not necessarily whatever you apply the discipline to, right, is that, you know, he was so disciplined about a thing and from a generation where that they they didn't have nothing. You talking about they coming up in the 40s and the 50s where you one of 10 kids where it's like you just getting where you fit in. You got probably a ninth grade education. You know, what I mean, the statistics against you where you you I went from one of 10 kids to the gangs to <laughs> Vietnam. Right. You know, what I mean, in Vietnam, where that's a whole nother chapter for, you know, what I mean, honorable discharge in Vietnam in 60 and there wasn't services like it was for veterans today mm -hmm. then so there wasn't nothing to do but rob and then you know so mm -hmm. he had a beautiful bank robbing career he was one of the best <laughs> they was. make a movie about him the man broke out of prison if we're going to talk about it let's talk about it yeah. the man broke Shawshank Redemption was really based on my father yeah. okay he did all of that scaled yeah. the building yeah, the, whole naked, the whole nine yards the, whole nine. the rope broke he broke his ankle ask my mom about it google yeah. it yeah. okay we've we been in the game we've been in the game these are all true stories and every time he came home one of us was born yeah. or, or our mother got pregnant as you would imagine when someone breaks out of jail the first thing they want to do until I came along and then what happened he cleaned up his life and my mom stopped having children I was the great savior of my family 
<laughs> he never robbed another bank again after I came. Moving along. <laughs> if there was a movie ever made about our family, who plays who? If there was a comedy drama. I think I'm going to Eddie Murphy this thing and play every damn body. <laughs> I got to be mama. I got to be Fatine. Hercules, Hercules. I guess let's get Rick, Rick Baker in here and just put me in a uh, moo and everything. I got to play all of so y'all. You're, so you're going to play all of us? I got to. It's, uh, it's only right. For the love scenes and everything. I got to do it all. <laughs> Shout out to Celeste. <laughs> Um, I like to think of myself as the Charlie Murphy of our family. You are all, the Charlie Murphy. Of all the families. How badly do you, when you be venting to me, how badly do you just want to unleash me to fuck these people up? Let me tell y'all something that a lot in the Muslim community and any of my fans that watch this, and I, and, and, and I say things very humbly. Lately, I have been being very much because I do know my greatness and I do know the talent that I'm grateful for that Allah has given me. Um, but man, this guy right here, I, 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 I can unleash him. This dude right here will, he's, and, and it's really a testament to the, I'm all about the preservation of relationships. You've mm-hmm. been able to do so much because of the relationships that you have. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And you're very intentional about that. And people love you because of your loyalties and, um, and because you're just a genuinely good person. And Mustafa's one of them type of people, man, that he don't play about us. You know, when, when, when he be at, that's why a lot of times I don't want him to come to shows. Cause if you in the front row, if he had been at that show with Ray Grady, Ray, Ray. I'd have whooped your ass. Man. Ray. I would have whooped your ass. And I wouldn't have went at that, Ray. But I'm just saying, this guy, man, he's um he's definitely that one in the family that, you know, we know we can always call you where it's just on go. It's no questions. It's what it is. And But how is it being that? Sometimes, again, and back to that joy question, too, because what I've noticed is I've, I've become, even though I'm the youngest, um, I'm that one in the family that, I you know, I put all the fires out. I'm you always do. the one handling all the diplomat, the, the diplomacy and, you mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. and curating the things in the family, mm-hmm. keeping everybody, trying to keep mm-hmm. everybody on in the court. And, but sometimes it's, that's tiresome, you know what I mean? And so sometimes we're even playing those roles a lot of times is like, we got to make space for ourselves. I have a saying at this conference when she asked me one of the things, like, uh, an example of a, of a time where I create joy for myself. And I said, when I was on my way to that, that very event, when I walked downstairs, I, I had decided, am I going to drive over there? The drive said four minutes and or the uber i could have ubered and it said four minutes but the walk was 10 minutes and i decided to walk because that walk i was able to listen to my music that walk was was that was for me it brought me joy Mm. just that walk that moment and y'all see the memes about like people when you're in the car and you eating your fries in the car because you don't want to go in and Mm. share with your wife and kids or whatever it's like sometimes just us creating and curating those spaces is important because when you wear those roles all the time and those masks that can become tedious too so for me to answer your question um I I enjoy that role of our family, whether it's our blood family or or our extended family, you know, because I'm like that with our wives and our children, nieces and nephews. I not I enjoy it. What this is what I don't enjoy. This is this is what frustrates me. And I've had this conversation with Celeste. I've had it with Lene. I don't enjoy the moments of when y'all don't when y'all kind of getting on me for doing it. It's like, y'all cool with it when it's in y'all benefit, but when y'all are trying to correct me, it's like, what's up? You really you can't unleash like, the hawk. Cause yeah, it's like, once he goes from Bruce Banner into the hawk, he's like, don't try to bring me down now. And, and that's what I don't like. But at the expense and at the protection and at the responsibility and at the overall decorum of protecting y'all, I absolutely love that role. And I love it to the point of, as much as I, you know, not to try to play nobody, and and Celeste so kind of is like this running, you know, it's actually not a joke when we kind of have others. Like, well, I'm, I'm not, I'm not scared of you. I'm not those people. Hmm. I love 
thinking or even knowing that those people are in fact scared of me to the point of like, don't fuck with my family Hmm. or you will, you will like, I will either hurt you really, really badly, or you're going to hurt me in my efforts of hurting you. Mm -hmm. And so like, I overwhelmingly enjoy that role. I also enjoy that role of being that person that I'm always going to say what someone is, what someone is thinking. Like, you know, Bo and I have this, have have been having this, uh, this, this nice rapport and he enjoys when I'm going off on these rants about things that like kind of get me going. I like to be able to speak in my truth, whether my truth is, at my expense of, you know, maybe embarrassing myself or like telling something about myself that is like, eh, I probably shouldn't have told somebody or just speaking in my truth of like, I know people feel this way about this thing mm-hmm. or about this incident or about this moment. And I'm going to speak on it. And I really don't care how uncomfortable I make that person. Well, sometimes I, I just think, and we, we talk about this all the time. I just think that's important too, to be that and unapologetic, but we don't want to be it to a fault. And one of the things that I always, that when me and you talk about that out, you know, it's like the saying, you know, you catch more bees with honey than vinegar. And there's times where you have to bring levity to being able to, you know, make sure people not going to mess with you. And you got those sorts of um, uh, those sorts of decorums. But also on the other side of like get the rooms that we talk about that we want to get into as you build your platform. You can't be that. It's like you sometimes, you know what I mean? As you trying to, you got to have a level of diplomacy too, Mm -hmm. because then you don't want to just, you'll talk yourself out those rooms before you even get into them. Because again, the accusation is enough. And so you, you have to, I think you don't, we don't want to be a, to a fault where it's fine with letting people know in this industry, there's certain organizations that don't work with me because they know, my price is my price and I do real business. Mm-hmm. And so, and that's fine. And, and there with the big, the biggest advice that I ever got in, in, in anything was like, sometimes you got to say no to get a yes. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I've told you that before. It's like, mm-hmm. you, you, yeah, no, sometimes you got to say no to get a yes. You spoke, you, there's something that you just said, maybe it just referenced something that fat Joe just said recently on his podcast. Fat Joe talked about one day he was at this event and he beat the shit out of somebody who ended up being a high level person at the radio station. Mm. At Hot 97. He didn't know that at the time, but he beat this dude up and it affected him being able to get his music played for a few years on the radio station because he beat this dude up. And so, like, it kind of speaks to what you're saying. Like, sometimes, you know, me having to be mindful of, you know, my whatever. That well, I because now that you're building these platforms that those are be, start to become a parts of the filters that then dictate your actions because it's more bef- before when we was just, you know, when we just got sitting on the couch, you can you move how, how you moving. But now when you represent something bigger than you. Right. Like when you go to represent a brand or a company at a job or, mm-hmm, or when mm-hmm. you build in your own platforms like this is that that becomes a part of the filter now. And it's like when you arguing with somebody that they don't even have a platform like you, it's like certain things is like what what would be the purpose? An example of this, I remember when we, we um, some years back for New Year's, we went down to uh, to a kindred show in D.C. And it was doing a New Year's show. And after, and I was with Emami Dries and his family. And I'm, I'm talking about we suited and booted. I got on an Italian, the, this Milanin, you know, the mink fur mink. I'm not, we suited and booted, bro. And we lead this joint and we hungry. And so we Google it. Mind you, we stand, we stand at the Four Seasons or the Ritz Carlton. We done splurged on the room. We went in. I had like a little employee discount code. Yeah, the ladies ain't know that, but still, it was discounted. And we, 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 we had a great time. After the thing, man, we go to get some food. And the only thing that had been open. Now, now mind you, the Ritz or wherever we were staying, 24-hour room service. But we leave this event, this ball, if you will, and we hungry. And the only place open is some IHOP down in the hood. Mm-hmm. And we go in there and we, uh, the fedora, we the whole nine, the Chelsea's and everything. And we in there and long story short, we wind up getting into it. 
with some guys in there that it, the imam we in there and, and our families and mm-hmm. you know and it turned almost turned into a big fight and the cops or whatever and so later when we were debriefing about it because what happened was we left that event wound up ne- not getting the food it just happened while we were just waiting in the, in the vestibule mm-hmm. and wound up going back to the hotel to just order room service after all and the, the lesson in it was just that I had no, we had no business even being there because as you start now the filters of the platform start to become of like yeah, it's more that's bigger than you now. Right. I, we ain't had no business even at that time of night in no sorts of environment. Right. So now right. when you have those moments where you want to knock somebody's head off or you go crazy because you only got a, a small piece of the story, it's shoot down, ask questions later. It's like, well, wait a minute now. What about exposure runs? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Wait a minute now. What about these other platforms and, and things? And so I think that that starts to become that's important that you, you know, you recognize that. Okay. All right, fair enough. All right, with these last few minutes that we got, I'm, I'm going to jump into some sports questions. Here. Oh, God. Just let it be known. I don't know a thing about sports, okay? I'm not, I'm not that one in the family. They got the sport. My sons are sports guys. I have no idea how my sons have become sports guys. I don't know a thing, a thing about it. Okay. They'd be like, Dad, you're going to watch the game tonight? I'm like, which one, son? <laughs> I don't know which, which, which. Is it football? <laughs> so my first question, what is a basketball? Your head probably is the first thing that comes to mind. Have y'all seen him hatless? Um, a basketball. I know what a basketball is. Okay. I don't, I don't know what it's made out of, if that's what you're asking. No. Okay. Yeah. It's a basketball. What, what color is it? Orange. Okay. All right. How many basketballs have you? How many basketball games have you attended and actually watched? I've sat on the floor at basketball games. Okay, okay. shout out to uh, first of all, shout out to one of my good friends, Mahmoud Abdul Raouf. Yeah, yeah we okay, really basketball player, whole nine yards. I've sat on the floor at games. One of the best basketball, but you didn't know his That's true. basketball. That's true. Ackerman. I'm telling him one day years ago, like I'm with some guy, Mahmoud Abdul Raouf. He's like, just just the greatest day of my life. <laughs> I had Mahmoud call him and everything. Yes, you did. It was yeah. one of one of the best. Days so I've ever. been to basketball games though. I I have gone to games. When you do, you, are you are you able to follow? Do you know what's going on? Yes. Okay. Now I follow. I like basketball more than football, so I will watch basketball. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Who's Michael Jordan? Michael Jordan. Well, I loved Creed one and two. <laughs> not Creed Michael three. Not Michael B. Jordan. Oh, okay. <laughs> Michael Jordan. Okay. Michael V. Jordan. Michael, not B. Jordan. Yeah. V. Jordan. Yeah. Michael V. Jordan. Okay. That's the greatest of all time. Air Jordan. I've never in my life owned a pair of Jordans. Never. I've never even had a pair of Jordans on my feet. That's one of the things I was like, one day that maybe to be a content video I'm going to do. Maybe I'll just, I won't buy a pair. If someone out there wants to gift me a pair, I can't, I've been in the countries where they make them. I've seen the little Guatemalan thumbs stitching. I can't bring myself, Jordan. You should be ashamed of yourself. I wear a size 11. Anyone out there that's willing to sponsor a pair. Um, I've never owned a pair of Jordans. I never knew that. Never in my life. Okay. But I know, I, I met Michael Jordan in an elevator. We spent, I remember. I remember. Yeah, and, I remember. And, uh, for All Star Weekend, I, I remember. In Vegas, or I remember like that. I and he used to also be the president of the label that Fifteen Asia was on. He was. He was. Right, yeah. Of Hidden Beach Records. Yeah. So come on, I know this stuff. Okay. Who's LeBron James? LeBron James. Was that LeBron James? Um, <laughs> LeBron James. That's the LeBron James. Who who he play for? He played for Cleveland Cavaliers, and I think he won a few championships with them. If you will, Google all this before one, I came because I knew you'd do one, this. One, then one. he went to the Lakers. I believe I don't know what his number was. He opened up a school. He has a receding hairline, a beautiful family and wife. <laughs> okay. I know a lot about the man. Who is Xavier Suleiman? Xavier Suleiman. He's was that number five? Is he number five? <laughs> What's his number? Thirty-five. Number three. Oh, he's number three. 
I was going to take two from that. Um, that's my nephew. He's a fabulous, fabulous. Xavier is the best of you both. Is he here? Is he listening to this? He might be at home listening. Yeah. No, seriously. I was telling somebody recently about just the kids in our family, man. They really good kids. Yeah, they are. You know what I mean? Really and and our, our kids have been so sheltered from the world. They have. You know, I call them cocoa butter hands, but they, <laughs> you know, they, they, I love the fact that my kids are still like nerds. And still, like, Ayub still gets excited about, like, Light Up Spider-Man. He tries to act like it's not, but when somebody go past with Light, light Up Spider-Man, he'd be like, look at those. <laughs> I like that. So, you know. What position does Xavier play? Xavier is a power forward. I think he's a quarterback. <laughs> Don't quote me. What's his own Is def- he a power forward? No, he's a, he's a guard. He's a guard. Okay. What's his own defense? A zone defense is, the, first and foremost, is when they defend the zones. <laughs> What's man-to-man defense? A man-to-man defense it sounds like something on Pornhub. I don't want to know what that is. <laughs> what is a three-pointer, and how many points do you get for it? A three-pointer is a three, and it comes from the outer line around the um, the basketball. Not a, there's an inner line, mm-hmm. and then there's an outer line, mm-hmm. and that's the three-pointer. And if you make it from there, now, but if 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 it steps over in the air, you it's not. Right. It can be a two-pointer. It could be a two-pointer. Okay. Okay. How many points do you get for a free throw? A free throw is going to be a free throw is going to be one point. Excellent. A free throw is going to be one point. How many points does a dunk worth? Now, if you already made the two, the and one, you just get one free throw. Talk about it. Okay. Come on. Come on, King. Okay. Okay. How many points is a dunk worth? A dunk is going to be two. Okay. That's going to be two points. Okay. And I know I know a goal ten, you know, if you if it's gonna go in and you hit it, then you get those points as well. Correct? Okay. 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 I told you basketball, and then the football ones I can't answer. Uh, we're not even going to do football. What's a technical foul? A technical foul is a foul technically. We're going to move on. It's a foul technically. Okay. It's some sort of foul that dictates... It sounds like a serious foul. It may not be a regular foul. Technical foul is like you've you've done something bad. Yes. You've that's not a regular shove. Like you you kicked a nigga in the nuts or something. That's <laughs> okay, a technical. That's, yeah, that's that, a technical. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Okay. Who's the GOAT? LeBron or Jordan? LeBron or Jordan or someone else? LeBron, Jordan, or someone else. Basketball wise, I've been told to believe <laughs> that I graduated from Overbrook High School, and I've been told to believe that Will Chamberlain can be in, into some of these conversations. I mean, that's one of his alma maters. That's true. Um, the Bill Russells of the world, I've heard. Okay. You know, okay. That, that can, that, you know, some of the arguments. Okay. The, the, the Magic Johnsons of the world. Oh, you're you know, throwing the, names. The Larry you, Birds of the world. You're showing off. You know what I mean? You're showing I'm just off. saying, if you want me to keep going, I can keep going. Let me see. The uh, <laughs> John Stocktons of the world. Oh, shit. Okay. Uh, okay. It don't good. Okay. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Um, so between Jordan and LeBron, I would say just just cultural relevance. I guess Jordan. You okay. Know? Yeah. All right. Because uh, I love Space Jam growing up. That was one of my. I like that. Okay. Uh, I posted a link earlier to our one on one game from okay. eleven years ago, which I won handedly. By the way, did you handedly? Handedly. That's a strong term. Yeah. I don't know handedly. Yeah. People can go. Oh, I posted it? the link. What was the score? It, it was like eighteen to nine. Okay. Yeah, I wanted okay. handily. Yeah, but here's the thing about and I was it. Almost three hundred pounds. It heavier. depends on what lens you see it from. Because as a person who we've you clearly just gone through an exercise where I'm not, I don't have any sport accoutrement, if you will, <laughs> and but I had nine points on you. So if and if I played Jordan, I probably would have had none. So, so what you're saying is you actually won. In essence, <laughs> in essence, I think I won. 
and, and you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. it's like if you're the if you're you're supposed to be showing me up, type thing. Like I came into your world, your arena. If I'm what I remember from that that event, yes, and uh, and I had nine points. I think it was actually twelve. I'm gonna watch that. No, no, it was nine. Okay, okay. Do you want a rematch? Ooh, that's good content right there. <laughs> that is good. Content. That's good content right there. I definitely need a Tiger Bomb bath, some Epsom salt. The rematch would actually, I, yes. Uh, yeah, we can we can let's set a rematch up. And let's do it. Who would you compare yourself to as a player? Did Chris Farley ever play basketball? <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> Whoever is probably very uncoordinated and his like the jersey is always sloppy, is never tucked in. Um, because I, I, I'm also a guy in the family. I don't care about like fashions and labels. Like I'll, I'll, I'll shop at Kmart and have on the, the Bobos. I don't care. So whoever the guy's on the, that guy, that's that, me. That's I'm you. just happy to be on the team. Like, can I get one of the rings? <laughs> yes. If you're on the team. That's fine. Okay. I'll be, I, like it, y'all make fun of the guys that's on the team and just riding the bench and they just, I'm happy with that guy. Cause he's get he's going to all the events. His name is still on the list and he has a ring. Okay. And all the byproducts he, he gets. I'm fine with that. All right. Name your all time NBA team. My all-time NBA team. Five players. Five players. I'm going to put Jordan on there just because. Okay. Okay. I need a big man on there. I need a big man. So I'm going to go Shaq. You know what? I like Shaq. Okay. I like Shaq as a person. Oh, yeah. Shaq is You know what I mean? I really like Shaq as a person. So I'm going to put Shaq on there. That's two. Um, That's two. I'm going to go Stephen Curry only because it would give me some brownie points with my son. Okay. Three. Because that's his favorite player. Okay. The light skin. That's like Chris Brown in a basketball uniform. Yes. Yes. So Steph Curry. That's three. That's three? That's three. Okay. I feel like I need a... You know, I don't know what that was. Someone that shuffles on the court. Um, <laughs> that big, that big tooth guy that has like his teeth looks like chiclets. He seems like a big guy, a nice guy. He's a dark guy. He has a big, very big forehead. I think he's on the Washington Wizards as well. He's very angry. He always getting in trouble. Green. <laughs> what is his name? Draymond Green. Okay, that's four. Yeah, Draymond Green. I'm, I'm thinking maybe KD as well. No, no, that's him. Yeah, the yeah, the big teeth. Okay. That's him. That's okay, four. that's four. One more. One more person. I'm gonna go Lisa Leslie because we're gonna need a female on the road. Because <laughs> they say a Muslim man single till he has all four slots filled. So we're gonna need some females there. Okay. All right. So you. So my my five is AI Kobe. You forgot oh, Kobe. Jordan LeBron AI. and Hakeem Olajuwon. Jordan LeBron. And I can't, tell me about Hakeem Olajuwon. He played for the Houston Rockets. I mean, he's, he's a special dynamic guy. And he definitely was. He was the Muslim center that always fasted during the month of Ramadan. I thought you would. Oh, know. that guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, who's the other guy, the tall guy that's always loving with Shaq? Um, that's Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Oh, yeah, Kareem. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is a big man. I like him. Yes. He's been in karate movies and everything. Yes, that, that is Okay, correct. now I might know him from other things that they've done. You yes. know what I mean? Some of them was in Like Mike and all types of these players. Okay. okay. All right, last two questions. Of course, you know, in this land, you know, it said we pick our parents. I'll talk about you picking Umi and Abby um, as a parent and what they mean to you and us as the family as a whole. Like, what they mean to our family. Um, I think Mommy probably just brought that, you know, the nurture... Uh, mommy, you know, me and mommy, she just texted me the other day. We used to have this thing that we used to do when I used to leave. She used to say, Sabahu Kaida. I would say, Sabahu Nur. It's almost like, you know, good morning, good afternoon, whatever it was, like a, a little thing. So mommy was always just that for me. Mommy is the one that first introduced me really to novels, reading reading books. Mm-hmm. And because of that, because she forced me to read like big books. Um, James Patterson. Your James Patterson, author. yeah. Iris Johansson. I used to read those books. Mm-hmm. Uh, it gave me a love of literature, which then gave me a love of just words, you know, and those books, because I feed myself with. So I 
I'm the guy that when I walk out the theater, I'm right online Googling about the movie because I want to read everything. I'm on Wikipedia. I want to know, like, who made that car in the background? It's like, why are they eating that cereal? You know, um, I do that with those movies that are like true stories. I'm in a rabbit mm, hole. Yeah. So, I, you know, I, I think mommy really kind of gave me that because mommy loves words. She loves Scrabble. Mm-hmm. You know, we grew up playing Scrabble and, 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 and checkers with my dad. Um, and I think I'd be really that discipline that he gave me just to applying that to so many different areas of my life as well. And really just, um, like I said, planting that seed, that spark that of Islam really in my heart too. Um, so I'm glad I, you know, if we chose them, if that's because we ain't going to know till we all know, you know, we all just fine. Cause that's what's crazy about religion. It's like, we just going off of what we based and believe in our heart. Nobody know until you know. So based on what I believe, you know, uh, if I chose them, then I I think it was was for those reasons. I think we're, we're all good balances of, um, at being Umi. But the important part about it is, is that the things that are not, you know, to, to, to circumvent away from, we don't always have to just be the things that aren't good about a person. You always just think you got to be that. Right. You could take what you didn't like. And yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? And it's that, that mm-hmm. and I'm paraphrasing, but one of the most like adage sayings about like the, the, the two brothers, you know, and their dad was an alcoholic and an abuser and this and a third. And just like one grew up to be a successful guy and one grew up to be an alcoholic and an abuser. And when they asked them both, they both was like, because of my dad. You know what I mean? So I think that's just an example of, you know, it's your choice as well. It's times where I'm like, oh, man, I wish my dad would have like took me to the park and played with me. So I'm like, OK, I could be what was me. Or I'm like, let me take my son to the park because mm-hmm. I wanted it. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, I think that that even in the flaws of our parents, mm-hmm. you know, it's helped me be a better man. For the for the specifically, Abby gave me a lot of great qualities. Um, but some of the qualities that I try to give Xavier and, and Zayden is some of the qualities that I, I wish Abby would have had. And mm. I was lucky enough before Abby died to have that conversation with him to let him know how I felt in regards to not receiving that from him. I'm mm. um, letting him know, like you know, it was a conversation like, "Yo, I know that you do love me. Your actions show that. You know, you put a roof over my head. You, you know." put clothes on my back, you feed me, but you've never told me, you've never physically told me that mm-hmm. you love me. Yeah, we used to always say that, but like you, you, you know, if you grew up in just black Muslim dad, it's like, you knew he loved you because he did for you, not because he told you. Right. You know, you rarely to hear it. I probably can count on my hands the time I physically heard that, but you knew he did. Yeah, you knew he now, did. Now as a parent, I knew he did because of the sacrifices that he made. Right. Um, but those same sacrifices for me now are I try to always match them with words when I'm talking to the boys. Mm. Like, you know, I try to tell them every day, you know, Ziggy comes down before bed or, you know, when I'm talking to now Zay knows that emotional side of me. He kind of he kind of has not so much. He's never accepted it. But now it's a thing now where mm-hmm. when he's leaving, like, all right, come give me my talk and my hug and my and I and I, I like that he has. Uh, allow that relationship between us to kind of blossom. And and I'm, again, I'm unapologetic about that because I want them to know, you know, if I die, when I die, I don't want them to ever, you know, carry on in life wondering if I did love them. I want mm. them to know that I do. Hey man, look, my big brothers, they, they've been motivators to me, you know, seriously, y'all just, just as the men and fathers that y'all are been motivating to me as well, just in times where I'm call you on the phone, you know what I mean? Just for that advice of how to deal with, you know, we all, there ain't no, no, no grand blueprint. But I've always appreciated that about a beat that he raised real men, mm-hmm. you know, at the very least. Can't nobody say we don't take care of our kids and mm-hmm. our families. Mm-hmm. You know, what I mean, that's like the bane of our existence. So um, I'm very proud that I had big brothers that were just very influential in shaping the type of, you know, man and father that I am, too. I appreciate that. Last question or last statement is that I want you to send a message to your future self talking in third person. Mm. 
I used to leave little little letters and notes, write little stuff to myself from back in the day, like what was going on at that time. Is why I need to find some of them time capsules. But future self, man, you know what? It's interesting. Um, I had been, I was humbled recently from Sister Jamila, um, Imam Awesome's um, widow, mm-hmm. uh, Rahimullah. And um, we were at Abby's, um his uh, iftar that we did, okay. you know, because my whole life I always had this narrative that I'm gonna make Hajj when I'm 40. That was always my thing as a kid because you know you'd be thinking I'm gonna get all my stuff out of the way and then I'm gonna make Hajj when I'm 40 and live my new life as a clean man. And that was always the narrative, right? And um, I made Umar three times now. You know, by Allah's mercy, I made Umar three times. The first time I went on Umar, I asked for Nora. Second time I went on Umar, I had Nora. Second time I went on Umrah, I asked for mommy to go. Third time I went on Umrah, I was with mommy. Mm. So it was like how powerful that those prayers and things were, right? But when 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 we came back, I told um, Sister Jamila, and I'm, I'm about two years shy from 40. So that was always this this road to 40 now. And I'm going to make Umrah when I'm 40. And I told her that. And she grabbed my hand. She said, make it now. She said, don't wait till you're 40. You know what I mean? The narrative was that. I don't, first of all, I don't even know if I'm going to be here when I'm 40, right? Just, you know, everything that I've asked God for, then he's given to me. And once I change the narrative around when I'm going to make it, I start asking, I'm going to make Hodge now. You know, if the opportunity come, provide an opportunity for me to be able to make Hodge right now. And if he does, I'm out, you know? So uh, I think the intentionality behind that, I don't even remember what your original question was, but just. Sending yourself a future message. Yeah, oh, that future message to myself really was just. I guess in that there's just the power of those duas and manifesting those things is like even now and I'm I'm so intentional about um, the knowledge behind the thing I want to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I said this quote earlier, it's a hadith that says, you know, a drop of rain can fall into the mouth of a seashell or the mouth of a snake. And it, that drop of rain in a seashell would turn into a pearl and in a snake it could turn into poison. So it's like intention and knowledge in the wrong or right hands can be a blessing or a curse. Mm-hmm. Um, so now my, my future self is really just, you know, be very intentional about the things that you say you want to do and, and don't just do them like you got to go after them, too. So where, whatever I am, when I'm when I'm when I'm on this platform and this is I'm speaking it into existence when the Exposure Runs platform is the premier, not just sports podcast, but the premier just culture lifestyle podcast. And this is a million dollar podcast. Y'all heard it here first in this hot basement Jeepers Creepers room right here. OK, with this man back here. And y'all please hit this cash app because it is very hot in here. OK. I'm letting y'all know. Future me, y'all heard it here first. Well, I appreciate you uh, making a stop here while you were in town to come on to our platform. You've always been very supportive of us, and um, it's always good to see you. I I, I love spending time with you. Like, our our banter and just our conversations behind the scenes, in front of the camera, whatever, it's always, like, it it just really kind of refills my cup. So, Mustafa's that person that every every big major milestone that has happened. Seriously, I'm talking about when I'm when I'm when my back has been against a wall, wall like bad bad stuff. Right? You know, I call Mustafa because Mustafa's that person that no matter what it is, he's always gonna see through all of that to you first. That's what's, I think, very special about you. That's your gift. You know, you're able to extrapolate all this, like looking at something. You're able to, you know, blow all the dust away, which is the tedious things, and then see right to the, the authenticity of a person. And I think that's why, you know, you have the sorts of relationships that you have and you've had the sort of success that you've had because you see that in people. And that's why it's like you can call you. We always know we can call you and it's like it's judgment free. You know, you you not I, no matter what it is, you gonna make sure we good first, and mm-hmm. so that that's that's a special trait and skill, and just as this platform grows, just never lose sight of the authentic the authenticity of that, because I think that's what makes you unique, and and in a sea of podcasts, that'll be what makes your voice dynamic. 
I really appreciate that, man. I love you very much. I love our family, and I love that you took this opportunity to come up here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. I hope you all enjoyed me. Yeah, and this was live. Are they saying, what is the comment saying? Because I'm all sorts of things is going down. There's a lot of people on here saying they want to take their shahadas. Well, alhamdulillah. There you go. <laughs> we see y'all on the next episode, y'all. <laughs>